Dose to Leadership Podcast, Episode 66. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up on all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible. And you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from. You can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible to make your smartphone smarter. Well, my next guest is Daryl Brewster. He's currently the CEO of CECP an international form of business leaders which is focused on increasing the level and quality of corporate philanthropy. He's had nearly 30 years of executive experience in the U.S. and abroad. He's been the officer of several Fortune 500 companies, serving as the turnaround CEO of a publicly traded company. He's run five multi-billion dollar business units and currently serves on several privately held and nonprofit boards. You're going to like this background there. He's currently served as president of Kraft's Six Billion North American Snacks, Confections, Cereal, and Pet Portfolio, successfully leading that business to record top and bottom line growth. He was a president of the Planner Specialty Products Company, more than doubling their portfolio to $1.6 billion over a four-year period. I love this one. Turnaround CEO of Krispy Kreme Donuts, reversing that financial decline of that company, clearing up a myriad of financial accounting difficulties, reducing debt, and expanding globally. He's also the managing director of Campbell's $300 million United Kingdom's operations, doubling their revenue and quadrupling their profits. Pretty impressive resume, Daryl. Welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on. Well, I love having CEOs. It's one thing to talk about, you know, leadership philosophy. I'm a passionate student of leadership. You've seen it on the front lines. I'm, I'm curious how you got your start. How did you become? Obviously, leadership has been important to get to where you're at. Where did you become, or where did you start realizing leadership was important? Well, you know, I think if I go way back in time. Uh, I uh, ran a, back in my high school and college days. Uh, a friend of mine left town. He left me with a softball league. It was one of the largest softball leagues in the state of New Jersey. Had something like 30 teams, and asked me to step up and to be the commissioner of the league. And I had played in the league. I knew some of the teams and players, but realized that they needed somebody who could really put this whole thing together from you know, getting the rules straight to scheduling, and teams came from different communities and different towns. We built and we grew the league, and I realized just the absolute importance of when you move from being a player, or I had been a coach, to really being a leader who had many stakeholders, including the communities we were involved in, the teams, the umpires, the players, that you really needed to take it to a whole other level. And I think that really transformed my thought process and where I was at the time and where I wanted to go and the ability to get people with different views and different thoughts 
on the same page and aligned to really make a difference uh, has, has been part of my life ever since. You know, it's always interesting. Everybody, it, you really don't realize how early it started for you. I, mean, it, I always love asking that question because people go way back. Can you name a person at the top of your head who, who had the most tremendous impact on you as a leader? Uh, yeah, I can. Uh, well, well, certainly my high school football coach, uh, Gary Taylor, a legendary coach in, actually in New Jersey, had an, had, a, had an influence. My father had an enormous influence. He had also uh, very involved in the executive position in his company, moved, worked his way up from the shop floor and a night guard to, uh, to, to, to running a, a company. And then throughout my career, I have been blessed with leaders and mentors who have really helped me mostly see the right way to do things, but occasionally you learn from uh, the other side of people as well. Yeah, sometimes you get, you know, you learn from some of the bad leadership that you saw in your life. I know that's been important for me too. You realize you don't want to do that. Exactly. And you probably those lessons may be even clearer, especially yeah. when you make those mistakes yourself. But the idea that you can uh, you know, kind of, kind of watch and listen, and you know, each person in this world is a little bit different and brings their own experiences and expertise to the party. But I, I do hope that each of the leaders with which I've, with whom I've worked, um, you know, you know, they've all had some influence in terms of you know who I am uh, today from a leadership perspective. So, did you set out that you, you knew you were going to be at the sea level, or did it just kind of happen? I mean, did, did you set that goal early on? No, I've, I've kind of thought of my life in sort of uh, ten-year increments, um, and usually easier when you look back on those. You know, my first was you know when I get a job coming out of college kind of situation. Um, it, like uh, students of today, uh, the economy was not real good in the uh, real uh, school in, that, in the early eighties. Uh, you know, interest rates were at a double-digit clip, and unemployment was at a double-digit level. Uh, I think we used to call it the um, uh, we, we, we call this, this this very painful time we were at. I think it was called the pain index. Right. People were going. Interest rates were in the upper teens, uh, and jobs were not uh, very bountiful. So just getting a job was my first goal. Then it was getting to a certain level. I, I did decide by the age of forty I wanted to be. Well, by the age of thirty, it was a VP, which I was successful in getting. By the age of forty, it would be to be a president of an organization. You know, the end of the next decade, it was to be a CEO. So, but it came in increments. And I kept seeing that, um, you know, there was an opportunity that I could go a bit further than, frankly, I would have thought at the beginning. At each of those levels, each of those decades, were there were there in consistent, important decisions that you had to make as a leader of the, in, within the organization? Was there a consistent, important decision that you had to make? Yeah. Um, I think they would fall into a, a couple of areas. One, I think it was often tackling not the easiest job, but one that might be a bit more complex mm. than others would have. Uh, in some cases, that meant taking an international assignment. In some cases, it meant taking a turnaround assignment. In others, it was taking a businesses that had not grown that we could perhaps take to a, to another level. So I, I, I think doing something that was not right down the middle of the road, um, I think, was helpful. Second, I think once provided uh, and Given a leadership uh, position, it was very important to get our organization on the same page as we move forward. So I think that was probably a, uh, a second area that we uh, wanted to really drive toward that alignment, getting the right people on the bus to, to move things forward. Right. Uh, and then I think third was just 
you know, given those assignments, given people, and given that you know, sometimes these things take a little time to get them together, was how did we take the performance of that organization, whatever it was, up to another level from where it had been? That doesn't happen overnight, but how do we kind of build those teams and vision that can really help people uh, you know, take this to the next step? You know, you've been at the top of, of some really large uh, corporations, and, and one thing that I always find challenging, and obviously the larger the organization, there tends to be a tendency for the kind of institution to kind of take over everything and dampen, you know, the bureaucracy can take over and dampen everything, and it, but particularly creativity. Um, how did you battle that? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think large organizations have many resources and great capabilities, uh, but if but can, but can be inflexible, can be bureaucratic, and can be really a challenge to finding new and, and, and creative ideas. Uh, you know, why I found that one approach that was helpful is just to get people on what we kind of call the burning platform. Uh, you know, what are the issues that are out there that we need to address? Because there's, um, I think it's been said many ways, but one, you know, necessity is a mother, somebody once said, but it is the mother of in, in, invention. And being able to get people on a burning platform can, I think, be very, very helpful. Then getting them aligned around sort of a goal of what we need to do can really begin to get innovation. When I took over uh, Nabisco, um, a great brand that had been around for a while but had been declining for several years in a row, and we started, we, we, we had a, a good group of people. One was a, um, uh, a woman, Kathy Parker, who kind of got us up and going, was in the new products area. And we just established that we were going to develop a pipeline of over a billion dollars of new products. And that we were going to get them and develop them and test them and really begin to kind of get that innovation machine going. And it took um, a little bit of a while, but there are still new products coming out that we launched now. I'm out of craft uh, for six, seven, eight years, uh, and there's still the products that we launched in that pipeline that are still happening. But it was getting a, a group uh, rallied around the need that we needed to be innovative, uh, that the world was you know, you know, was uh, looking at other alternatives that were out there, health and wellness and other initiatives. That we needed to create some, some, some of that innovation, create the burning platform, get some people on there with the right goal, and then let them go. And that's where we, I think we were able to create some uh, some. Uh, some innovation, and a lot of my job was keeping the big bureaucracy away from the people who were really coming up with the creative and innovative ideas. Yeah, removing the rocks. I like that. You know, I think a lot of times people or think as a leader that you got to have all the answers. And a couple of nuggets that I just gathered from your answer there that you looked at your job as removing the big stones, the big rocks, so the the real creative types could be unleashed. Right? It really is absolutely the case. Um, it, get people rallied around an idea, get the right people in there, give them their goal, but then get out of the way so they can create the creativity, create the guardrails, but remove those obstacles that sometimes uh, prohibit. That's especially an issue on big companies. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think, um, what, what, speaking of that, what you know, I hear a lot of, especially in big organizations, they talk about uh, mission and value statements and vision statements. What do you, when you hear all those kind of buzzwords, what, what is most important in your mind, mission, core values, or vision? I, I always get them confused. So yeah, I think they mean different things to different people. What I've found is that having a, a, an overall mission that can appeal, because one of the challenges is that different people um, connect in different ways. And a lot of people get really motivated by something that appeals to their heart. You know, that, 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 that mission, that vision, it's, it's more qualitative. 
there are also an awful lot of people in business, engineers, financial folks, many general managers who really get motivated by the numbers. So what I've always looked for is, uh, I call it a mission slash vision usually, that is where we kind of want to be, but it also is underpinned with some numerical goals mm. that we can see progress along the way. And that way we can get both groups to, to the bear. We will need success from both of those groups if we're really going to make, uh, make great impact. I love that. What about if I was working for you or just anybody, what would your expectations um well, I guess from the C, first from the C-level office, when you're up at the CEO, what are your expectations for your leaders and below? Yeah, um, you, you, my kind of model leadership that I tried to do, I'm uh, not always perfect at it, but I also would expect from my organization, uh, I, I use the acronym of LEAD. And the L, and not perfect on this, but is to really listen. Uh, and we're listening not just for the sake of listening, such that we can really learn, so we can you know, kind of understand. That's the L. The E is about engaging people um, with their thoughts, their ideas, in a way that we can get them energized. Uh, most people come to work and leave a good chunk of their brain at home um, and a good chunk of their energy as well. But if we can get people engaged, they'll get energized, we can make a, a, a bigger impact. The A is absolutely critical because we then have to get alignment. That doesn't mean everybody has to agree on everything because they won't. But we need to get alignment around the critical priorities that we are working through such that we can act and we can act in a coordinated fashion. Uh, the D is about delivery. So we, we've listened, we've engaged, we've aligned, but eventually we've got to get the job done. And it's about doing it and getting it done and delivering. But the other element of it is it's also developing that organization such that we can do this again. So this is not a linear relationship. It's a circular relationship that we can lead over and over again by and understanding where we are, aligning on where we want to go, and delivering on, on what we want to get done. Mm. Do you look for certain characteristics? I mean, what, what characteristic would you certainly demand every leader possess? Yeah, I, you know, first, I mean, I, it almost goes without saying, I just expect um, integrity. The people are going to do what they say, that nobody's, and I've had a few instances where people were you know, playing with the numbers and things like that. That's just, there's zero tolerance for that. Uh, assuming we are screened for that, I think the people I've found who have been most successful, and I really believe in having a diverse group of, of, of people who are partnering and connecting with me as I, I look back. Our best teams came from different angles, different, uh, perhaps different countries, different cultures, uh, different uh, genders. You know, having a good balance of organization is key. But I also think it's people who could stay aligned on our goals, but they could adjust as conditions change. And I, I think people who will, uh, who can do that, who can persevere when things go tough, can adjust as the road changes, really make a powerful, you know, it can make the, the biggest difference. And if people need it to be stay static, they're going to struggle in the, in the world in which we live today. Mm. So I, I think that's a, a key piece is change comes, uh, uh, at least I found is that some people will fight it like you know, the modern day Luddites. That's generally not a successful strategy. A second group, which is the vast majority of people, will just, oh, here it comes again. I'll just go with the flow. That's not going to be really creating great opportunities. But there's sort of a third group who really looks at that change. And, and I think we're seeing it right now going on in society. 
but we're looking at that change and seeing that as creating great new opportunities to really make a difference on their business and in the world in which they are, uh, are, are, are you know, which they're living. Yeah. I've always said, I'm curious to hear what you think about this. I've always to, like to tell my folks, and I like to I like to work in organizations, I like to work around people who um, are very comfortable within chaos. And I think a lot of times I see a lot of people expending an inordinate amount of energy trying to completely squelch any kind of chaos. Now, I'm not saying bring gasoline to a fire, but I kind of subscribe to the theory that, look, there's always going to be a fire, um, and I'm not going to panic when I see the fire. I love the people that can thrive within the fire, if you know what it means, keeping it at bay, but finding those opportunities, like you said. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think it's important. You know, Stephen Hawking's the British philosopher, scientist, you know, right. one of the smartest people in the world, you know, kind of talks about the universe having moved from chaos to order to chaos. You go through these ups and downs, if you will. I actually think you need to be able to kind of play in both areas. Uh, sometimes, and Sarah um, may speak to this now, that part of the role I bring in an organization that is totally orderly is to interject some chaos into it. Right. Because that's going to create a new level of excitement and new interest. But there's other times when things can get so far out of whack that bringing everybody onto the same page, we talked about that alignment before, mm-hmm. is absolutely critical because it's, it's in order that we're able to kind of scale things up and get things done over and over again. But I think we need, uh, if things are too orderly, it's time for some chaos. On the other hand, if things are a little too chaotic, leaders can play a very important role by bringing a bit of order, getting people aligned, getting them on the same page so they can begin to start to march and move forward. So yeah. I think both play a very important role. Yeah. You know, I was reading a couple of articles this week, and um, I'm curious what your thought about this, too. Is a lot of emphasis now about, you know, we've got the millennial age. You know, you've been in business 30-plus years. You've seen a lot of change, a lot of a couple generations come in, Gen X, Gen Y, and now the millennials. A lot of stuff stuff being written about how we've got to treat them different. What is your thoughts on that? Well, with four millennial children, uh, I, you know, I, uh, I, I think maybe a few thoughts on this. First of all, I think millennials have been expressed and um, have seen so much more, I think, in what they've gone through because of social media, because of the amazing levels of information uh, these are, are uh, young people now who have been raised with, you know, we're doubling what is it every 18 months the amount of data and information that's, that's, that's in the world. Right. Uh, I actually think the millennials are a remarkable group of, 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 of people. Um, we're blessed to have a number of them with us here at CECP. And I think this is a generation that has an opportunity to really, and is beginning to really kind of change the world. Uh, they are demanding things from companies and from organizations, from governments, um, in, in a very little different than the 60s generation. Uh, but they're kind of demanding things that have an expectation that's higher, and the amount of involvement we're seeing, uh, Harvard Business School, I mean, classic, you know, uh, capitalistic enterprise, uh, number one club right there now is on societal responsibility. Hmm. It didn't exist six years ago. So I think, I, I hold up great, Prospects for millennials. I, I think they have enormous. Uh, we have been these, you know, sort of super empowered because of the social media and other things that are out there. I think is is, is, is terrific. I think it's extremely valuable and powerful. You know, I, I think at the same time, um, we've also had you know millennials who are getting you know married maybe a little bit later, 
And I, I think some of the responsibilities, I just was looking at some, some data when the average person, perhaps in my era, was getting married in their early 20s. Now it's kind of your late 20s. I think those 20s are, are incredibly powerful times. I think there is a time when the responsibility comes in that maybe some of the things you were looking at wouldn't happen. But I, I look, I, I, I hold a great um, hope for millennials. I think they're going to help us, and I think we're already starting to really help change the world. We're seeing that within CECP and what that's meaning for companies, and, and that, that the millennials are making choices in products, in the way they, you know, companies they're working for, um, causes that I think are very powerful and have been enabled by some tools that I think is, 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 is remarkable. And I think their care for the broader world, um, I think, um, is something that us baby boomers can learn from. Yeah, I agree with you. I think a lot of... Um Especially when I started doing this podcast and I started looking at the on, you know, diving a little more deeper into the online world and the community. And I would agree with you. There is so many examples, and most of them are millennials, who just have this tremendous sense of optimism, this tremendous sense of energy, this entrepreneurial spirit that I, you know, maybe I was just blind to it, but it, it seemed to be, um, I don't want to say lacking, but it, it's much more energized, I guess, in my opinion from what I'm seeing. Um, and I love that enthusiasm, the optimism for the millennials that I have in my network and I'm in contact with and that I work with. And so I agree with you in that sense. And, and I think it's refreshing because I think, you know, before I did that, I was just kind of stuck in my traditional ways of looking at the media and the, in, in my circles. And it was a little more negative. I got to be honest with you. And it was all about, you know, the, the politics and this and that. And the, the, I love the optimism of the millennials. So I, I would agree with you on that part. Global challenges, the economy, and others. There's there's a lot of reasons why millennials could be pessimistic at this point. Right? Yeah, you're right. You know, and there's been a few that've taken the streets and, and protested, and we've seen that in certain parts of the world. But it's made enormous changes to, frankly, governments that need to be changed. Changed. Uh, I, I think if that's channeled properly, it can just be an enormous impact. But I think we're seeing that in areas like community engagement and social responsibility. One of our member companies here at CECP, you know, looks at the key. Um, attributes that that, that, that that their employees, their average age of their employees, and they're 27, 28 years old, so these are millennials who they're hiring, and what the key drivers are to the companies they choose. And many of them are about, you know, aligned with mission and values. Does this look like a socially responsible company? Coming much higher than starting salary. I, I can assure you that back in my day, that wasn't the case. I'm not even sure those questions were even being asked. Yeah, you're right. But I think we have a group that really, look, people have many challenges. That's not... Uh, uh, paint all uh, millennials with one brush. There's different segments and different groups. But I think we have an enormous part who have grown up volunteering and are much more global and expect transparency that I think can be very powerful. Sometimes it can be taken too far. But I think on balance, it's it's kind of a good thing that we're seeing from, from many of the millennials. I'm curious. You said, yeah, I got four kids too, and, and um, two of them are approaching well they're just outside of the millennial age but what advice would you give or do you give to someone kind of getting into the leadership field for the first time yeah i have done at a couple of colleges i'm invited back every year to kind of talk about this 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 very topic uh and you know looking at that leadership and what uh what students need to be thinking about as they are looking about leadership positions and i and i do kind of come back that this model i've you know, kind of used over time is, you know, you know it's about you know, first listen, you know, seek first to understand, then to be understood um, as being an important step. The getting people 
engaged that you're working with, that you're not in here. The days of dictator leadership are done, um, in, with rare exceptions in emergency areas. But you've got to get other people engaged. You, you'll get a better end result. You'll get better product. You will get better you know, work out of the folks is really critical. That alignment is absolutely uh, of the essence. You've got to get people in your group on the same page, and that may mean it takes you a little bit longer time than uh, than you'd like. But getting folks around that, getting them on the same set of priorities, is is, is very important. And, and that you've got to work with the group and support them as they are looking to uh, to, to deliver. So, I mean, those are the uh, I found I think have been very helpful lessons. Uh, I was asked not long ago about. Um, you know, as you look back at your career, what are you most proud of? And you know, two things. First is that every business I touched seemed to be a lot better after I left than when I got there. Not mm. because I left, hopefully, but you know, after I left or after been there for a few years. And the second is just to watch the people who had worked for me now move into leadership positions, CEOs of companies, you know, chief marketing officers. That is kind of what makes it kind of worthwhile. And one of the great values of, of, of kind of leading um, within you know, within organizations, and whether those are for-profit organizations that Fortune 500 companies, or playing leadership roles in community organizations or nonprofits, you know, all those conditions I think still are, are, are very important. You know, a lot of responsibility you've, on your shoulders over the last 30 years, and, and even now. I'm curious to see, especially, has any of the weight of those responsibilities in your leadership ever had any negative effects on other areas of your life? If so, what were they? Yeah, that's a a great question. I I have tried to keep um, life in balance, um, and I think in most of my life it was important that uh, we had a family, that our, our four kids, that we, we raised those. And I have a, a list of, I call my the uh, my, my 4F club, but family is at the kind of the top of the list. Um, so uh, that was very important. Um, I, I also thought it was important that we were involved in the community because I think it gave you not only was it a release from what you're doing every day, but it's also where some of the greatest opportunities and ideas that we were able to build on came from because it got us out of the sometimes corporate bureaucracy. So I think you know, I think those were very helpful. I will say when we were doing the turnaround at Krispy Kreme, uh, and I was the family was in uh, northern New Jersey, and I was commuting down uh, to uh, to North Carolina on, on a regular basis, um, and we made enormous progress and so saw billions of dollars of lawsuits and accounting issues and got a business that continues to build and grow and expand. I think back then it was 5% of the revenue was outside the U.S. Today, 75, 70% of the, the stores are outside the U.S. But that, that, that commuting time and going through a turnaround and lawsuits, there were some days there it was, it was um, perhaps a little bit out of balance. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that was, you know, I think it was days and in, 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 in weeks. But I think the net of that was an experience I look back on. And, you know, thanks to the, the great work of our team and hard work and the patience of my, my wife and, and, and kids at least, a couple of them who ended up going to school in the area, um, you know, worked out well, and I think we were able to save the company and solve a lot of, 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 of issues, which were, were great. So, you know, I, I think it worked out well, but I do think it's important um, for people to have that right balance in life. And I have seen um, that a lot of the challenges and big issues we get created are sometimes when people lose that perspective. Um, and, and I think today with our leaders of some of our great companies and organizations, 
you know, we here at CEZP are right in the canyons of Wall Street. And uh, I think sometimes we have people who can be so single-minded focused on, on, on one area that it can get things out of proportion. And I, and I think uh, a balance of life of family, of community and business, I think is real important individually. I think it's also very important for the companies um, that they are thinking about how they are engaged with the broader society uh, and the community, not just those with whom they transact, as well as their clients and customers, but their families, their employees. And I think that triumvirate is really critical to build sustainable value and sustainable um, you know, you know, companies and, and, and organizations and, and uh, as, as, as well. Uh, I think if it goes just into the one area, I, I think that can lead to some difficult behavior, and I think we've seen that. I agree. I agree. We'll talk about CECP. Tell me about the, kind of the genesis of it, the, the the mission, what you guys are doing now. Yeah, I mean, CECP is just an incredible idea. Uh, it was started um, this coming year will be the 15th year of the beginning of the 15th year for CECP. Um, it was started by Paul Newman, the actor and salad dressing uh, chef, right. along with several corporate executives, John Whitehead, uh, former uh, chairman and CEO of Goldman Sachs, uh, uh, Peter Malkin, who's... Uh, family owns the Empire State Building and is a wonderful uh, New York uh, businessman. Uh, Paul Volcker was also part of the original group. David Rockefeller, just legendary names, who really believed that corporations, uh, the leading corporations, could do more to help the communities and help society. This is the late 90s. It's the go-go days of technology, uh, and really felt it was important for companies to be able to do more to kind of help others beyond uh, themselves, and that in doing so, that that could have a positive impact on their organizations and businesses. You know, I think Paul Newman took it to the uh, to the max in forming Newman's own uh, a company, still in existence and still growing. It's an incredible, successful uh, company in salad dressings and other categories that donates 100 percent of its of its uh, profits to um, nonprofit organizations to help you know build a better society. Uh, and that's really where uh, CCP started from. Uh, in the early days, it was known as the Committee to Encourage Corporate Philanthropy. Um, and in, in many ways, that's what we're still about. Uh, I think philanthropy is a word that you know, is misused, and it's, it's ultimate. Philanthropy means the love of mankind. Um, and I think that is still absolutely what we're about here at, at, at CECP. But the world has kind of evolved. Thanks in many parts, I think, to the work done at CECP, which created the first measurement tools of what corporate giving looked like that uh, identified best practices and through annual award system that begin to create networks where companies could share what they were doing in this area. And over the time today, we have over 200 participating companies, 150 CEOs, another 30 or 40 chairmen who are members of our organization. Uh, they, if you looked at just our, our membership, their annual revenues are $7 trillion. Wow. That's nearly half the GDP of the U.S. And these are companies that are committed to making the world a better place while they also, you know, you know they're driving their business performance. And, and we think those things make sense together. And if we can really kind of turn on um, and create, we could create sustainable um, societal solutions if we can really have the business community be at the table and play a, a leadership role. And, and we're seeing that happen with, with many of our organizations and our companies, and hopefully they're also encouraging. We're, we focus on the very biggest companies, but in doing so, hopefully we're bringing across mid-size and smaller companies as well. Uh, 
seeing that the job of business is to make money for the long haul, and to do that, you need to address community issues and create sustainable uh, opportunities with, with, within society. Otherwise, you're not going to have the, op- the, uh, the license to operate, uh, and otherwise, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities to engage your employees and, and find new market opportunities. Well, I love what you're doing. I love even on the front page. I, a lot of times, when I simple thing, when I go fly aircraft and my teams and lead, and I always said it's not your uh, right to challenge me; it's your obligation. And I love what you have in there. When about it's all about empowering and challenging CEOs. So I think it's I think you guys are doing great stuff. I mean, I'm intrigued about what you're doing with all this high powered connectivity that you guys are all about. So kudos to what you guys are doing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really a support of the, of the team here. The CCB staff has done a, a, a remarkable job over the years from what was a concept to now uh, a real factor and, and, and it provides thought leadership in this, this whole space. I think it's really moved companies from the notion of giving what I'll call pure charity to, 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 to giving, and that could be employee time, it could be cash, it could be products. It could be skills and capabilities that really create sustainable answers for people. It's happened over the last 10, 15 years. It's really remarkable. The group here has done a great job measuring it, benchmarking it, providing case studies, providing fast-track consulting for companies that, that support that can really um, – is really helping to evolve this whole, whole field in a very powerful way. And as a result, it's kind of moving up with organizations. Just looked at a study the other day that – Five times as many people, the expectations have now risen, five times as many people think it's going to be businesses that help address societal challenges versus the government. Well, and that's encouraging because I agree with you. I think that's that's great. And, and I think it's it's great, too, to, to kind of highlight and remind people and businesses what their purpose is. I think I think we don't ask that question enough. I mean, what is your purpose? And, um, and reminding people what business's purpose is in society, I think, is key to turning around a lot of these problems that we're faced with. Yeah, and it's, look, there's nothing wrong with companies going out there and making money, and that's, that's a great thing. It's a tremendous motivator that helps us to kind of solve pieces. But money is just sort of, you know, that's it's the means to an end, which is a better world for, for us all. You know, you want to take care of your family. That's very, very important. But how do we also help, you know, people uh, in, in our communities, particularly those we may not transact with, but who are, you know, in, involved in, in, in where we are, whether they're living in our community or people that we may have solutions for. Uh, we have one of our terrific members, a company called Mosaic. They make fertilizer, pretty basic business, and they have really gone on that we, you know, we do have you know, well over a billion people in the world who are still subsistence farmers. They do not have enough to eat if there's a bad crop. People in the family suffer, suffer majorly. They, you know, thank goodness many of our uh, forefathers you know, escaped this cycle. Well, they are now taking their fertilizers and their people to help train, and they are seeing yields that might be four or five times greater than what people were having before. They now have 250,000 people in villages who are now part of their Global Villages program. They were one of our award winners this year. But what a great example of how they are beginning to scale up, providing business solutions to a huge world challenge. And this is going to be a challenge we have. We have more people, and we're going to have less land to grow stuff on. So we're going to need to have other solutions like this. No one company will solve every issue, but corporations, I think, as a whole, can really be, as, as Paul Newman said, a force for good uh, to help address some of the societal issues. I love it. You guys are doing great stuff. I mean, it's always exciting, and, it, and it's encouraging for me. It, it's, uh, when I hear stuff like this, when I see stuff like this, 
it uh, it keeps me motivated and energized and positive that uh, that the future can be brighter. So again, thanks for what you're doing. Good. Well, again, we, we're enablers here. It's the companies that are our members who, who do the work. But what we can help is show the best practice, the case study, the benchmark that might just inspire folks. Or sometimes it's a, you know it's a private kind of you know chicken in a, in a tail that might inspire people to perhaps take it to a whole other level. Right. Well, Daryl, is there any uh, place that uh, you want to plug or where people can find you, your website or anything else? Yeah, we have a, a, a terrific website that Sarah Adams and our communications group has developed. And you can either you know Google CECP or look it up at CECP.co, C-O, no need for the M. And that co is sort of symbolizes the collaborative work, the cooperation, uh, the community-oriented notion of what CECP is all about, along with our, our, our partner uh, members who you know, really are we're here for our members to serve those members, to help them make their programs ever more effective, and at the same time to kind of advance the movement of uh, helping the, you know, the world-leading companies and their senior executives make unprecedented progress in societal challenges while or, or maybe in order to deliver sustainable uh, business performance. Great stuff. So .co is the, uh, the, the web address. All right, and I'll have a link to this when I get this posted on my website, so there'll be links to everything that, that you have on there. Guys, Daryl, this has been fun. I mean, I learned a lot today. I always love talking with the guys that have been in there and, and seen it and been there and done it and made it happen, and, and you're definitely in that category. Thanks for coming on the show. Richard, I appreciate it. Thank you for your time, and thanks for all the good work you're doing in terms of really helping us focus on common sense leadership. Amen to that, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you down on the road. Take care. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.